Thank you for listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. It is not intended nor should it be considered an invitation or inducement to buy or sell any of the underlying instruments cited, including but not limited to crypto assets, financial instruments, or any instruments that reference any index provided by CF Benchmarks Limited. This recording is not intended to persuade or incite you to buy or sell a security or securities noted within. Any commentary, interviews, and discussions are opinions only and should not be considered a personalized recommendation. Please contact your financial advisor or professional before making any investment decision. Some of the underlying instruments cited within this recording may be restricted to certain customer categories in certain jurisdictions. You're listening to CFB Talks Digital Assets, the home of informed conversation about crypto for institutions building the future of finance, presented by CF Benchmarks. I'm Ken O'Delaga, Head of Content, and I'm joined by Gabe Selby, our Lead Research Analyst. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of CFB Talks Digital Assets. Hey Gabe, um, what do you think we should talk about this afternoon? Well, I mean, there's definitely... uh pretty long list of topics that are, I think, top of mind for everyone that's in the digital asset space, starting with what's been the news of, you know, the past week or so. It's just been so, so surprising. So it's been with the FTX, uh, basically the FTX empire and Alameda Research demise just overnight. It really feels like it's just been like a flash in the pan, how fast everything kind of collapsed. So yeah, we could start with there. The impact um, has been pretty much like a small thermonuclear device for the industry. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, the after effects look like they're going to linger for some time. Would you not agree? Yeah, I mean, this is such a black eye for the industry. It feels like a major sub pack because whenever you have such a established kind of institution that's was a significant market share of, you know, exchange volumes uh, go, go under so quickly, it deteriorates that trust that I think crypto markets have, we're starting to really build upon. So it's it's going to be it's going to take some time really I think for us to kind of work through this. I think overall, I think the industry is of course going to make it and continue to grow and develop and build interesting and innovating these projects and making these incredible things. But it's going to take some time, and so that's really where we're at right now. And there's just all sorts of new information that keeps being released. Before we get into that though, let's let's have a very very quick um, thumbnail recap of what's happened, right? From myself, you know, the main protagonist, um, Sam Bankman fried the CEO of FTX, the uh, Swile Exchange. Additionally, a major pivotal figure in relation to Alameda Research, an associated hedge fund stroke trading company stroke liquidity provider with strong links to FTX, right? At some point, it becomes apparent that um, Alameda Research is potentially facing a liquidity crisis. They go out into the market, potential looking for bailout. We have one white knight in the form of uh, Binance and the Binance CEO saying that they may step in to bail out um, FTX, but then having looked at the books and doing a bit of due diligence, they pull back. And then of course, all hell breaks loose and the whole thing implodes. Pretty much, I think there were, that, that's, that's what happened, right? Yeah, and it just it was this liquidity crunch, and as details you know begin to emerge, we're starting to figure out that there might have been some more you know alleged malpractice that was happening behind the scenes. Whenever you are an exchange and you are taking customer funds, 
on behalf of them and you know facilitating transactions it's essentially a custody type uh, arrangement where that institution shouldn't be commingling any of those customer funds with any outside other uh, entities or other parts of the the business in itself which is what FTX was essentially doing um with Alameda research right SBF had an empire he had his market making kind of hedge fund Alameda research on this side and then he had his very large cryptocurrency exchange that was an offshore entity um not you know under any sophisticated regulatory framework on this side and when you take these funds and start providing these liquidity shortfalls to cover Alameda Resources losses and then you have customers knocking on the door the next day because of a you know leaked news article explaining you know the intricacies of this relationship and how they've really kind of been a lot closer and more entangled than we thought you get this run on on, on the exchange and that's the liquidity crunch which you know Binance allegedly was going to step in they were hedging themselves this entire time because I think they knew that once they got a yeah, once they got to look at those books, that it's just too big of a hole to fill. Yeah, I mean, I just want to throw in a few choice details that should actually not that anyone is kind of ignorant about this, but you know, obviously we do have some viewers who are from the institutional side of things, but not necessarily from the institutional crypto side of things. Or hopefully, they'll become more so over time. Some choice details. There's a spreadsheet going around, which was reportedly published by the um, Financial Times. Um, the spreadsheet was prepared by FTX for investors when uh, it initially ran into some difficulties. And um, it has some very unorthodox entries in this spreadsheet. Just a couple of things here. Figures are rough values and could be slightly off. There is also obviously a chance of typos, etc. They also change a bit over time as trades happen. This is very, very unorthodox. It's not the kind of thing you like to see in a sort of uh, financial statement. I've got one other thing. This is really bizarre. There's also an entry, and I quote, this is what is apparently was in this um, financial uh, spreadsheet published by FTX Twitter investors. We have hidden, poorly internally labeled fiat account. An account aligned in a, in a sort of like a financial statement that reads that, a hidden, poorly internally labeled fiat account. I mean, that's stuff like... We've gone into cloud cuckoo land at this point, right? And uh, these are the people that we gave our money to. So, yeah, I think that should really, if you didn't, if you didn't have any sort of doubts about what you were actually dealing with before, look at those kind of things. And then I just want to talk about, um, you know, the latest um, very, very briefly. I think, you know, as you mentioned, Gabe, there's a lot of sort of details. A lot of them are uncorroborated, so we can't go too far, you know, in terms of any anything conclusive. But it, it is clear that. Um, Sam Bagman fried was a resident of the Bahamas, and I believe the FTX was essentially domiciled there as a financial entity offshore for the United States. The Bahamian police and financial authorities have reportedly opened investigations into FTX. You know, the Bahamas, although we do think of it as an offshore sort of uh, domicile regulatory regime, you know, nothing is really that lax that you can actually take clients' funds, mix clients' funds with them um, sort of trading proprietary funds and do weird things with them, right? Um, and of course, the Bahamas got a strong relationship with the United States. So um, it's a case of watch this space, really, because this is um, probably going to get uglier, um, particularly for um, the senior figures within the groups that we've mentioned, and unfortunately for clients and customers of, of, of groups as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's so many red flags. And when we look at how we approach onboarding constituent exchanges 
to provide us pricing data for either reference rate or our indices, these are the red flags that you're looking out for essentially. You know, if this entity over here has got this really close relationship with a market making hedge fund and all these entities are offshore or the majority of them, FTX US being the only one that was in the US regulatory framework. Um, however, the entire group's going bankrupt. So that doesn't really matter too much. That's a huge red flag though. That's the type of stuff that you're, you're just not going to probably find the quality um, data feeds on the pricing to, to really develop and build out the inputs that you need to get quality reference rates and indices built on it. So we've done a really good job avoiding all that. And um, that's kudos to, you know, all the team at CFB and the, re the regulatory guidelines that we follow to create such a robust framework. Yeah, well, we, we can speak it like that because, you know, we do have the authority as the only regulated um, crypto benchmark administrator in the world, as far as I'm aware. Certainly um, regulated in the UK under European Union BMR, the benchmark regulatory regime. So yeah, FTX, never a constituent exchange and um, rejected several years ago, well, well before this happened for those reasons that Gabe mentioned. Now, I want to sort of do um, a little, you know, halfway through our customary price check of our um, regulated uh, flagship indices. And starting with the CMECF Bitcoin real-time index, the most liquid uh, Bitcoin price that you can get in terms of a streaming price, um, it is trading currently at... $16,853, and it's actually up for the day, 2.5%. And uh, we also have, of course, the Ether counterpart, the CME CF Ether dollar reference rate, and also the CME Ether dollar real-time index. The real-time index is trading at um, 1,263, up about 2%. There are a number of other coins we can mention, uh, Gabe, sort of related to this um, slightly, un, you know, not slightly, very unfortunate set of circumstances. And I think you've got a list there. Yeah. I mean, the tokens that I've seen, probably the, the largest impact in price have been related to, you know, the Solana ecosystem. So if you look at Solana, which is a settlement type token, and it's fully programmable, it's what we would call an Ethereum type killer is what the industry likes to say. It's down, you know, almost 55% or they're about on the week. So, um, you know, it's, it's, um, my pricing is definitely, uh, as of yesterday's, um, I think when I took it, but we, we've got it, you know, down significantly. Um, so you could say, you know, it's just down about, you know, maybe 40, 45% from, from last week, trailing a week ago. And, um, one of the things that's happened, you know, recently that's been transpiring is the serum project, which is basically a decentralized exchange project that runs on the Solana blockchain apparently had an exploit. And that token has um, has has also had a contagion effect. Because we haven't got enough problems at the moment, so we need more. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's definitely a spillover. Sure, sure. Okay, um, you know, there are other things going on in this market. Um, unfortunately, not all of them are particularly elevating or or, or pleasant. Um, and another thing that's catching our eye is um, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Why is that the case, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, a pretty incredible uh, kind of you could say it's a like a liquidity crunch type dynamic where you have the existing shareholders of GBTC trying to exit you know um, out of the fund and they're willing to accept you know a discounted price on on those shares when you compare it to the net asset value of the fund. So if you look at the fund 
and its assets, which could be, let's just say, I think it's around like 10 billion or so in, in Bitcoin. This thing has a market value of, let's just say, around like six and a half billion. These are approximations, but this is where you kind of get that relationship of the actual shares are being traded out in the market, a much you know lower value than if you were to just take out the books of the, the Bitcoin that's being held on the balance sheet of the grantor trust, you would find that it's at this at this significant discount. So yeah, that's what's going on there. And I think it's obviously been a, a goal for GBTC to aspire to be a, uh, a regular ETF. How, how, do you, how close do you think they are of realizing that goal uh, anytime soon, Gabe? Well, I think, you know, with all the recent events, you have the SEC chair, Gensler, who's, I think, definitely going to want to see more oversight. And there's just going to need to be a lot more clear framework on crypto before you can get to a GBTC that's just this open uh, ETF with, without having that grantor trust distinction that you see on other commodity ETFs like gold, like GLD or something like that. So this is what um, kind of a setback for them as well. Yeah, let's um, let's broaden things a little bit wider and also talk about something you know net positive. I think um, I believe you wanted to talk about the open interest on the regulated Bitcoin futures trading on the CME. So if we were expecting to see kind of a mass exodus of kind of institutional interest in at least, you know, the crypto fund space or in Bitcoin futures, we just really haven't seen that transpire yet, which is, you know, I think a, a positive surprise for us. So just for example, if you look at the um, open interest on CME Bitcoin futures, um, those contracts are near or approaching 19,000 um, at the time that we're recording this. So it's 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 like a hockey stick jump up on the on the chart, yeah, yeah, on the chart where we were seeing, you know, let's just say for the past three months or so, uh, CME Bitcoin futures would average around fifteen thousand or so, and uh, to see that that jump, it's it's pretty significant. Sure. How would you interpret that? I mean, it looks kind of positive, but could it not necessarily be interpreted in a number of ways? So yeah, you're right. The details of which you know. Are these open interests, or are these contracts that are being, um, are they long? Are they short? Who are the players that are, you know, uh, transacting in this market right now? Those details we have yet to see. I'm, I'm tracking it on a daily frequency, which is a little bit higher than the, the COT report, which is the commitment of traders, which is released on a weekly basis. So we will get the update next week and we will get more details on, you know, who is long, who is short. But it, to me, it really just shows that if you look at CME Bitcoin futures, which is powered by the BRR index, our you know um, most trusted regulated Bitcoin index, we we can tell that institutions and these investors, these speculators or institutional players, are using these this vehicle as a way to either hedge their bet or get exposure on the speculation side. So it's definitely become more popular. Yeah, something positive um, from the institutional point of view, at least, right? And I just wanted to round off, uh, Gabe, it looks pretty quiet on the macro calendar, this all-important macro calendar that we use to try to gauge as uh, a potential sort of economic influences um, on broad markets and, of course, on the crypto market. Have you got anything further to add to that? Yeah, no, you're right. I think it's a relatively quiet landscape that we see in the next seven days or so. Um, what I'm probably going to be interested in is focusing on uh, the initial claims data that we get every Thursday. So with the recent announcement that we've seen in the tech industry in particular, starting around these layoffs, I would anticipate that we're gonna to start to see that kind of show up in the data. The reason why this is important for digital assets is because uh, along with reducing overall pricing pressures and inflation 
to get to that Fed pivot, a big component of that is actually the tightness in the labor market. And I think central bankers across the world, including the Federal Reserve, are trying to see you know, some alleviation, some slack start to develop in, in this incredibly tight labor market. So once you start to see initial claims start to trend higher, continuing claims trend higher, these are the, the higher frequency data rates that you would like to see kind of indicate uh, that eventual shift in gear for central banks, which should add to a tailwind. So yeah, if we start to get those readings, um, it might mean some potentially good news from the Fed. Of course, it's not great news, um, absolutely, you know, when you know we have higher claims suggesting we're having higher employment, but it is better news in the grander scheme of things with respect for, to inflation and of course, um, the Fed rate hikes, which have been punishing um, asset values, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, we've run on for a little bit of uh, time here, Gabe, and um, we've come to the end of our time this afternoon. It'd be great speaking to you as usual. And great to have you guys along for our podcast. And we'll see you again next week. We'll see you all. Take care. Cheers, guys.